Fringe Pop 321, the show that believes the world is stranger than we think, but thinking should not be strange. This is a continuation of our series of interviews here on Fringe Pop, and this time we have with us Brett Prince from Ohio, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, you want to be more specific than that? You want to give away your home base location? No, that's fine. Uh, I am in Columbus, Ohio, Okay. and I uh, born and raised there 40 right. years. Well, Brett, you have a dramatic interesting story and again our, our viewers are going to get the link to your full story uh, on the episode page the interview page for this one but I do want to get into it so if you can give us an abbreviated version and since I've seen your full story mm. I'll tell you where I want to land uh, to begin with here um, basically the the drug use mm -hmm. and the drift into Satanism and in the occult Sure. Because what I'm going to angle for here at some point is, do you see those things as related in any way? Okay. So we'll just ask it this way. Five years ago, who are you? Five years ago, I was the poster boy of uh, Luciferian, worldly, <laughs> fleshly success um, and was very good at it. Um, very rewarded as far as the things that society pushes, materialism, mm -hmm. um, very dependent on substance abuse for happiness, okay. uh, devoid of any, for pleasure, uh, devoid of any real happiness, uh, seeking pleasures and momentary fleeting things, and uh, just living the wrong way. And that entailed uh, sexual depravity, okay. drug abuse, lying, stealing, and even as far as murder. Wow. Mm -hmm. So w would you consider yourself an addict or you were just doing it for pleasure I mean, are, are those two related or because most of most people listening to this that have you know a drug problem in their history uh, I think they would sort of categorize it as I couldn't help myself I was addicted sure. so is that you or were you just sort of recreational pardon the pun but on steroids you're just doing it because you enjoyed it I'm not so sure there's a mutual exclusivity. Okay. Um, I believe that I was doing it because I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I had the money. I had the means. I was able to do it in mass as much as I wanted it. Mm -hmm. But I was addicted in the sense that I needed it for happiness. Okay. I needed it for self-worth and identification. So I, it was not something that I think I could have stopped um, and felt fulfilled. So in that sense, I was addicted. Now, chemically, I don't think that I ever went too far with anything that was hard enough to make it detrimental to the point where it affected my life that right, way. Yeah. Right. So that's a big part of your story. Again, the longer version on YouTube, of course, your own channel. We'll, we'll make sure the viewers you know, know where to look, where to find you, and, and everything that you're doing now. But as far as, again, the backstory, give us a little bit of a, a history as to, you know, you mentioned you, know, you were the poster boy for a Luciferian life. Mm -hmm. So you, you got into drugs at one point, but your story is much bigger than that. So give us a bit of, a, of an overview that includes that. But you know, take us down this road of how you went from you know, experimenting or you know, doing drugs for fun 
into against some of this darker stuff. Okay. Well, essentially I was born into a uh, pretty conventional, standard, conservative household. My mother was a Christian. She instilled those values in us when we were young. Mm -hmm. Never forced us to really go to church from the time we were able to say we didn't want to go. If we didn't want to go, we didn't. Uh, my brother opted out early. I kept going until I was 12. At 12, I decided to go ahead and uh, give my life over to Jesus. I uh, got baptized, and immediately afterwards came the lifestyle um, of the drugs and sex. And that just led way to a whole package deal of, you know, just living, leave, living wildly. And Essentially, the drugs and the sex and the, uh, I don't want to say rock and roll because rock and roll itself is not inherently bad, but that lifestyle that is implicated mm -hmm. by that term, that is the Satanism and Luciferian. It's, it's not identified that way, mm -hmm. but that is absolutely the earth system that is detrimental to a person. So you're not identifying that as some sort of a gateway. It's just part of this bigger whole. I mean, how would, how would you characterize it? Because, you know, you have this, again, simplistic notion of, you know, you, you, you do this and then you're going to go to that and you're, you're going to you know, graduate and all that kind of thing. But, I mean, you, that seems a little bit simplistic to me. If it's not, you know, you, you feel free to correct me, but it, it just seems there, there's more going on than that. It is a little bit simplistic. It's, it's, it's more of a complex thing to where, um, I think how to... Uh, to vociferate that correctly. Um, I think the same the same characteristics that lead a person to find identification and pleasure in drugs mm -hmm. are the same ones that are going to that lead them to find that identification, self worth, and pleasure in uh, worldview systems. Okay. And I think that was a package deal of not only presentation from external but who I was internally. Mm -hmm. So it is very complex. I don't think you can necessarily say, I smoked weed and I started worshiping the devil. Right, right. It's not that cut of a, an equation. Right. It is a complex thing, and it's a gradual um, slippery slope that you don't notice that you're going down uh, to where inhibitions are lowered and you're opening yourself to new ways of life and thinking that may be different from where you came from. Mm -hmm. And seeing as I came from a Judeo-Christian, well, definitely Christian home, mm -hmm. the antithesis of that is what I was exploring, and that was a package deal. And it wasn't so much of a, an equation, as you said, or a graduation of mm -hmm. steps. Mm -hmm. It's a presentation of our whole society, and that's in the school system, that's in our entertainment, it's in our culture, it's amongst peers. So it becomes this giant, massive entity that's hard to really isolate each factor. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, you can look at all the factors and say that they culminated and worked towards mm -hmm. uh, a worldview, a goal, a lifestyle that can only be identified in my eyes as Satanism. Mm -hmm. yeah. So now, now what you described sounds passive, mm -hmm. like, like the culture was acting upon you. But you know, again, since I've heard your testimony, I know you're not going to say, oh, I was just a victim here. No. no. You know, the, I mean, you, no. you're exercising your will. You're making decisions whether it was rebellion or uh, this is helping you form an identity that you liked. Exactly. Uh, you know, again, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, what did you get out of sure. this? So as, uh, as I'm, I'm grabbing these things in my early youth, you know, in my early teen years to fill this void, 
uh, I noticed that they come with some social uh, rewards. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm smoking weed with the guys at the party, I'm now one of the guys at the party. As a kid, I was kind of, uh, well, I was a sickly child, a lot of lung problems, so I was kind of a nerd. I was definitely a nerd. Um, I stayed inside, I read, I had trifocals real thick. I was never a cool kid. Drugs. That's even nerdier than I was at one point. Oh, I was bad. I was bad. Uh, I'm still here. Uh, But the uh, drugs gave me a a cool card, I guess, that got me into social circles. And as that progressed, you know, if you got more wild, you were cooler. You know, the more that you could do, the more you were respected. The more girls that you started to interact with, the more that you got. So, at first, it was generally presented. But once I saw what was there, and and I don't think I think one of the mistakes that we that people make is to deny that there is pleasure. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's why you do it. It's not long lasting. There's no fruit there. It's bad. But as I saw that that you know that pleasure built social structure, then I started to understand that power came with those things and make the moves calculated mm-hmm. and actually seek out those things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the most drugs. I wanted to have the most girls. I wanted to be in the most fist fights. Things like that to that mm-hmm. effect. So I did actually start seeking it. But that's not quite what you're getting at, is it? No. I, well, it, it, it's part because you know I think when people listen to this and either again. I think people who don't have this in their background, they always wonder, what in the world were you thinking? Sure. You know, because they, they can see, they, everybody knows somebody whose life has sort of been destroyed or is sort of a, a shadow of what it could have been because of, you know, whatever thing, yeah. drugs, alcohol, whatever. So you, you got the, the, the number of people who would, again, ask, what in the world were you thinking? And then the other people who, who share this background, I would imagine they're listening to you know, things in your story that they can that resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they do think, well, that's not why I did it. I did it for this other reason. But I think by and large, there, there's probably some connectivity there. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, in, in my family, we've, you know, I grew up with a, uh, a stepdad who, you know, really was my dad because he and my mom were married when I was five, who was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I don't know if I, that I've ever met a person that's not affected, okay, by this in some way. Mm-hmm. And you naturally wonder, again, what in the world is going on? Like, why can't you see X, Y, or Z and stop this or that? So I get the, again, this, this gives you, you know, this social world, you know, puts you in, into uh, these situations that you, you do get pleasure out of. It's advantageous. It feeds your ego. It, you know, it, I hate to say it this way, but it, it, it rounds you out as a person. <laughs> And socialize, yeah, right. social structure, it's, yeah. it's, it's this, you know, identity-building thing, which is, again, it's kind of a, I don't want to say maybe, maybe it's the wrong way to say it. It's kind of a shame to say, but that's just real. That's absolutely real. Right, that's yeah. real. So, you know, you're, you're, you're enjoying these things. Was the, the, the drift into sort of occult, you know, more like the imagery, um, the, um, was it just experimentation, um, taking Lucifer, taking Satan more seriously so that it became like part of, of your own identity? Was that just like a next step? Was it, was it sort of a, I'm going to add this to the resume now. Uh, what, what was the motivation there? Well, as I entered that party culture as a young teen uh, that came in with, uh, you know, the music, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, hip-hop, heavy metal, and all these things, 
as you listen to these things, you, you see a common theme, you hear names, you hear, uh, you know, certain messages are brought back and forth. And one of the, you know, there were a few key groups and key figures as I was growing up, uh, one being Marilyn Manson. Okay. And I remember in the mid-90s when he came on the scene, you know, he, he was known for ripping up Bibles and throwing them into the crowd. Well, that was sensational, and that's what draw, drew me to him. But he's, you know, he's actually an intelligent guy, and there's more behind his, his music than just shock. He's mm -hmm. very well-schooled in, like, numerology and Kabbalah studies and these words that I had never heard until it came from him mm -hmm. and other people in that position of influence. Right, so you're just yeah. you're running into these things as you're attracted to these individuals. Yeah, so I'm just partying, doing drugs, listening yeah. to drug music, and this drug music is also coupled with very real, esoteric, occult, uh, and satanic uh, messages. Mm -hmm. And they're not superficial. They're very rooted in old studies. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my first inclination towards that was, you know, what is Kabbalah? What is Jewish mysticism? Mm -hmm. And that led to, you know, slowly acquiring little tidbits of knowledge here and there throughout my teens to where I kind of got this impression that, you know, the world that I grew up in, which was the Christian Western world, mm -hmm. had been kind of uh, you know weaponized to, as a, a power trip, and that the true religion was out in these esoteric and and uh, you know regional and uh, earth uh, mm -hmm. earth religions. Did you did you get the impression that, that like Christianity had historically suppressed these things, and so this must be the truth. Is that what you're saying? Suppressed them. When, when you say weaponized, that's what pops into my head. Uh, weaponized in the sense as uh, it's looked at as a very bigoted belief system that keeps people from their pleasures just okay. for the sake of being mean. Okay. That's that's the impression okay. I had from it, and that's what it was presented. And without reading it myself, I just accepted those messages. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I see, okay, these people are successful. They say this is not good, and this works. So then I start seeing like the masonry things, all seeing eyes. It's, it's in all music, it's in pop, it's in hip hop and all that. So that's where, you know, that idolizing those figures and seeing what they were into and mm -hmm. researching them as people and their interest is what got me into their interests. Do you, then, do you think a lot of these, these pop icons are, in, are really into this stuff like intentionally or do they use the imagery to draw attention to themselves? I believe half and half. Okay. Um, I believe some of them are very aware and seeking the power and okay with that world. Mm -hmm. um, personally, that's where I was. Then I think there are people that are absolutely deceived, don't know what they're buying into, and are absolutely useful idiots, mm -hmm. to use the term. Um, a lot of people wearing the symbols and things that they're doing right now have no clue what they're even wearing. So you have those people that are you know, training ground for some yeah. of these pop stars that come up and just lead people into deception. You know, do some of the pop stars really know what they're doing? No, I, I would say not. I, I'd say they're deceived and they're being used as tools and puppets for people that know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there are people that are educated in it and they know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Shoot. What's wrong? I think I'm down on my last inhaler. Don't worry, you can refill it and get it delivered using the Kaiser Permanente app. Smart. Uh, you put yourself in the group that sounded more sinister, mm -hmm. okay, that you were a manipulator, you know, you're out to control. Um, were you conscious of that, or is that just you looking back? Oh, I was conscious of it. Right. I took a lot of pride in it. 
and being able to manipulate and, and deceive people. What did your parents think about this? I, they were sort of passive or neutral about, you know, going to church, letting you make that decision like you described. So they had to think something mm -hmm. when you begin doing all this other stuff. What was their reaction? I think by the time I actually got into the real deep stuff, the structured, like the Freemasonry, mm -hmm. uh, they had kind of been broken at that point, to be honest. Uh, they They... They tried to fight off the early stuff, the Misfits, the Danzig, the kind of mm -hmm. lower level stuff, but they gave up the battle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once that ball got rolling so far, there was really nothing they could say that would stop me. So they just loved me and, mm -hmm. and didn't really address it. Uh, okay. I wouldn't have listened. It would have drawn, yeah. it would have put division. Yeah. Right, it would have created even more conflict. Yeah, so just, they, yeah. yeah, they were smart. Let's go through sort of a checklist of occult stuff okay and what i what i'd like to hear from you is what made that thing interesting okay okay what made it attractive so we'll start with freemasonry power straight power the symbols that you see on the dollar bill on the streets of washington dc and spread across the world and over centuries at this point and the biggest power players from henry ford to george washington to jay-z there's power. So there, there's a there's a, a long history behind it. You look at the names that attach themselves to that for for whatever reason in their own you know history, mm -hmm. and it's like there must be something here mm -hmm. that will benefit me. Sure. Okay. How about Gnosticism? Didn't really do much for me. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of kind of you're trying to new age Christianity. Get out of here. <laughs> Theosophy. No, I like that. Okay. Yeah, that uh, that was. What was the appeal there? Uh, I felt like it was probably a more socially acceptable form of complete depravity. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it packages it so nicely. It makes right. it seem like it's a very quaint Eastern philosophy. And Blavatsky came, and she sat with yogis, yeah. and she was so cultured and worldly. Right. So well-read. And, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it breaks back down to Babylon mystery. I mean, it all goes back. How about uh, occult magic? We'll just we'll just make magic a category. Like you know, we have we have uh, Crowley, yeah, and others. What what was it there? The appeal of magic seemed hokey to me for a while okay. until I got deep in the Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. um, until I believe I didn't believe anything until I saw the people that believed it. Um, when I realized that these very powerful, smart, educated people were doing these rituals and putting these magic symbols on things, I thought. Okay, we've been told for however long there's nothing there, but they're still doing it. Mm -hmm. So why? Is there power behind the magic? And then I started researching magic and ended up getting into magic rituals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, was it was it a specific school? You know, you have this breakdown. There's like, just for lack, lack of a better one, Enochian magic. I mean, were, were you like picking your niche here, or were you just experimenting with a whole bunch of things? You touched on it with Crowley. Okay. I think because he was who he was, which was all sex and drugs. Mm -hmm. That's it was pretty much what his whole thing was. Uh, that appealed to me because mm -hmm. that's what I wanted. I was very pleasure-based. Didn't care the cost. Mm -hmm. um, and that magic and that sense of sex magic and, and drug magic and uh, the transcendental experience, transcendental experience mm -hmm. from psychoactive drugs, that's, that appealed to me so that... that uh, uh, as an outsider, I mean, true confessions here, I look at somebody like Crowley and go, 
yeah, yeah, really. Like, you're the most evil man in the world, and all you're doing is having sex and taking drugs. Like, how many millions of people do that? Yeah. So I mean, you're not a you're not a Hitler. You're not a Pol Pot. You know, right. I, I don't know if he ever killed anybody or not. But it it seems like a bit of a cartoon, and, and maybe that's because of, of what the culture has done with you know Crowley. And, and I mean, he certainly fed that. Mm -hmm. uh, builds his reputation. But how how do you look at him? I think that he became a cartoon. Okay. I think he was he he originated in some very real stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he took it even further than his contemporaries at the time and got very dark with it and really knew his stuff. I think his drug addiction and his sex uh, addiction drove him mad. I think the danger with Crowley, though, is not what he did in his life. It's the effect that we are seeing today. Well, how people imitate him or well, worship him, I guess, might be a good absolutely. word. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Crowley's hand is so heavy, heavy in our pop culture, a lot of people don't realize it. But once you know who he is, the connections that he made, and see it all trickle mm -hmm. down, he was a lot more powerful than I believe a lot of people give him uh, credential for. Let, 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 while we're on him, let's. I imagine you did some research or maybe had some exper a similar experience. Let's talk about Crowley and Lamb, okay? Uh, you know, he meets this entity, or I don't know what the right word, I don't know what word he would use, channeled this entity, or was encountering this entity. And if any, if anybody's seen a picture of Lamb, it's sort of suspiciously like, you know, a, a, one of these aliens, like a gray alien. Again, like like we like to poke fun at here in, in the studio, you know, over my shoulder here. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he, that was a big deal for him. Yes. So, what do you think of of that whole set of experiences, and did you ever, you know, meet something like that, as you were sort of, you know, imitating him and trying to, to do what he was doing? Okay, the first, uh, I'll, I'll answer the second one because it's short. No, okay. I, I didn't see any okay. deities. I've never come in contact with a deity. Uh, I tried to invoke him, never seen one mm -hmm. like he claims to. Uh, the idea of his uh, the lamb looking like an alien it seems kind of funny. It seems mm -hmm. kind of cartoonish. I believe he also uh, claimed to have met a Quranzan, several deities. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should take things that people say so lightly. I think we look back through history and we make the mistake of thinking that we're the smartest, most in tune culture that there ever was, and we totally dismiss anything that's not within our cultural script. Um, but when people say that they interact with these things. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should be so dismissive. Mm -hmm. And I think we not only do that with um, individuals like Crowley, we do that with complete cultures. Mm -hmm. And we deny what their first-hand account is. And I think that's dangerous. Um, if he said that, and he acted the way that he did, there's a chance that he could be sens sens sensationalizing mm -hmm. that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Might want to examine to see what exactly he's looking yeah, at. Yeah, I, I would compare it to sort of I mean, since my I have an interest in ufology and you know the whole ancient aliens thing, because I'm sort of known as the I hopefully ho hopefully a somewhat friendly you know debunker of things like Zechariah Sitchin and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But it, it that world sort of takes you into this world of the people who claim you know alien abduction. Mm -hmm. And my sort of default position is I'm going I'm going to assume you're not lying, okay, that you're not hoaxing. You may not be processing whatever it was that you experienced you know the best way but i'm just going to assume that you're just not making it up mm -hmm. you know for attention or whatnot because you get you know you get people that you know when they talk about these things they get the ridicule in other, in other words they suffer for it it's not like 
I'm going to tell this story, and then I'm going to go on, you know, Jimmy Fallon. I'm going to make lots of money. It, it doesn't work that way. You know, right. you, you get a lot of ridicule. You know, for it, it brings you know personal crisis. So, I would tend to agree, you know, with that. It's just, but but I would also agree that the way Crowley is, the way he sort of presented culturally. You know, I I like the way you said it that he sort of became a cartoon because sure. that's kind of what he is now. You know, he. If we want to, you know, spook somebody, we're just going to put his picture somewhere, you know, and, and not, that's really not taking him seriously. That's just trying to get an effect or get attention or something like that. Um, what about, um, you know, other practices? We'll, do, we'll just make a, a real broad stroke here. Ouija boards, tarot cards, you know, all, all those sorts of things, you know, were you into any of that? Were those somewhere in the picture? The closest I came was a grimoire, okay. which was a, uh, a book of spells, Black Magic Grimoire by E.A. Coding. It was the Book of Azazel. And I did do a ritual verbatim out of there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an interesting experience. Um, I was recording a one-man band album, mm -hmm. which is where you do every instrument, drums, bass, guitar. And I come to the point where I was going to do this vocal and I was kind of stumped and I'm at the same time I'm reading this grimoire not really knowing what I'm supposed to get out of it and he's talking about how you can become a god or you can invoke spirits demons d-a-e-m-o-n mm -hmm. which they, they say they're they're nice they're good little guys mm -hmm. just invite them in and they'll help you do with whatever you want and there's one that's specifically in that book about the arts so I read the ritual did it. I actually happened to be living in an Odd Fellows temple at the time, which is an esoteric mm -hmm. uh, thing. Went down into the basement and uh, put out the transmutation circle, did the ritual and everything. Did it. Didn't feel anything. Didn't see anything. But immediately after, I really did have the inspiration to record these vocals. I mean, I walked from that spot over to that spot and recorded it. And it was all all the the entire album was five songs it all had vocals not one word that i knew what i said or planned so looking back in hindsight i didn't even really know what i was doing i just said just let the words flow through you just make guttural noises you know utterances <laughs> that i don't know right. looking back i'm wondering you know was that what you know what was that who was speaking what were they saying you know was it a form of tongues from the other side mm -hmm. not quite sure but that was the closest that i came was the the uh, by myself with with an object, and mm -hmm. that's outside of masonry, of course. Right. Yeah. Now, when it comes to Satan and Lucifer, did you join a group, a coven? Did you do rituals you know, there? In other words, and, and if you did, was that sort of a uh, again? I don't want to use the word graduate because that makes it sound like there's this step by step, you know, checklist kind of thing. But in a lot of the material I've read on this, that when people sort of get to that point, they almost present it like like the apex of their journey or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, anything like that? Not necessarily. With Satanism, it was more of a Levian Satanism, okay. which was purely naturalism. It's atheism repackaged with a sensational title. So and I how does it how does it differ from like Wiccanism or just your, your generic? I hate to use the word generic, but paganism. You um you are your own god. Okay. Uh, Satan is a name that's invoked in spite of Christianity as opposed to a deity that okay. is known as the enemy. Okay. Uh, the enemy in this case uh, it doesn't exist, and it is uh, an accusation of your natural tendencies. Mm -hmm. So they say embrace your natural tendencies. Embrace who you are. 
and just be everything you want to be. Go with your instincts, as long as you don't mess with anyone. And is that Crowley and, again? That's LeVay. Okay. Uh, uh, well, he, he had this, you know, Crowley had this thing about do what, do what you will. Do what thou will. Yeah. yeah, I got that tattoo okay. there. Yeah. Um, so is, yeah. is that similar or different or what? Well, two peas in the same pot. Absolutely. LeVay stole everything from Nietzsche and okay. Crowley, so right. that was where he got that. So at that point, I wasn't necessarily into a good side or a bad side. I just kind of thought we were in a neutral universe mm -hmm. and that I was just going to do carnally what I wanted because it didn't matter. As I progressed and saw that the powers that be, um, the very powerful players in the world, did believe in more, I started entertaining it. And that's when I feel like I switched over to a Luciferian, which is like the purveyor of human knowledge, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily looked at as I want to do evil, which did is it, deistic. Did it just Satanism. become more otherworldly? Like, like there was that element now? Became structured. Okay. It became okay. purposed. All right. Uh, it had uh, leaders. I had mentors that weren't just kids. other kids wearing Marilyn Manson shirts. Okay. These were doctors, lawyers. ATF agents, judges, these are the people that I, I did rituals with. And uh, that's when things got serious. That was the progression. So there was a graduation. There was my own exploration, uh, YouTube research, internet research, uh, just finding out what I could. I like to read actual book books. Right. Some people remember right. those. Real books. Yeah, yeah. go get those. Uh, and, and so I had a little more than the superficial, um, enough to where the Masons, they don't ask you to join but they present themselves so you can ask them. Mm -hmm. And that's what pretty much I, I, I showed through my art, through my, my posts and uh, my social networking posts was I was moving towards that. So I was approached, and then when I became a Mason, that's when things got serious with magic, serious with uh, intent, mm -hmm. serious with um, you know, thinking that this was all real. Was, was your, you mentioned your art. Mm -hmm. okay. Was your tattooing part of that? That, you know, sort of that, again, stru structural transition, or was it before, or is it kind of on both sides? Well, the art, I actually started drawing Freemasonry symbols like I was one of them mm -hmm. before I actually was inducted. So uh, Mason actually saw the symbols and the things I was working into the uh, fine art and tattoos, because sure. I was putting this in people's tattoos, too, mm -hmm. sometimes without their knowledge. Sounds terrible, but, I mean... Just being right. honest. Um, well, like that goes back to the manipulator, you know, kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. If I'm like, oh, hey, why don't we just put an owl here? And they're like, cool, owl. And I'm like, you got Moloch. Yeah. So I mean, like, <laughs> it, it, there's. It's not like I'm yeah. being mean or hiding things. I'm just putting things that have different meaning for me right. than what they know. Right. Um, so I was putting that there, and the Masons actually said, well, this dude clearly knows a thing or two about a thing or two. So then I was approached, and I became an actual Mason, and that's. Mm -hmm. That's where that came was after or the art first, then Mason, and then legitimate mm -hmm. art that was accurate. You know, mm -hmm. that was kind of hit and miss. Did the Luciferian turn have a role in the art you know, later on? Or oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, was it was it choice or time spent in perfecting whatever it was you were working on? I mean, how did that work itself out? The Luciferian started shortly before the actual Freemasonry, because the time I actually became inducted, my mm -hmm. first ceremony, I had this tattoo, okay. and this is the sigil of Lucifer. Right. So I had already been embedded in that. That already worked. Now, footnote, they were totally cool with that. Mm -hmm. They were very cool with that, and that did not stop me. One of the Masons there was actually a Catholic priest, mm 
And the way that this is structured is there are people on each tier that don't know what's going on, uh, you know, on the next. Okay. This guy raised concern with the chaplain, said, hey, our new brother has sigil Lucifer on his face, and the chaplain says, we're cool with that. So the Luciferian art and movement kind of all happened at the same time mm -hmm. as I was living in the Freemason temple, and my shop wasn't in the Odd Fellows Lounge. Right, right. right. Yeah. Again, for, for, for the viewers that want the full story. Uh -huh. <laughs> Right, yeah. yeah, they can they can go up and watch that on your site. Okay, so we've been talking about all this stuff you past tense were into. Yes. So you're you're enjoying this. Mm -hmm. You're getting the benefits that you presumed you'd get out of doing this, that, or the other thing. You like it. Yep. What happened? What what made it unattractive at some point? Well. I said a few times since then that anyone that thinks that those pleasures are satisfying haven't had enough. Because at superficial value they are. But when you truly try to live like that, they're not satisfying. You do not gain any long-term personal development, satisfaction. You're as empty as you were before you do any of it. So after... About 25 years of living like that and doing it well and succeeding and was supposed to be really happy. I mm -hmm. finally, you know, looked at reality and said, this stuff is leading me to nowhere. I've got all the money, all the drugs, all the girls. Uh, I, you know, I was living in a luxury apartment with, you know, just massive substance abuse and uh, a, a literal harem. Mm -hmm. I mean, a literal harem of escorts at my disposal, and I wasn't happy. Uh, ended up moving out of that place and going to my own home for a year. It was very, very humble. And during that year, I reflected back on all the successes mm -hmm. and the, the emptiness that was there and reevaluated things and said, I'm going to try stuff a little differently. Instead of, you know, this situation fell apart, it was my relationship fell mm -hmm. apart at that time, marriage, uh, business and stuff. Instead of going further into this life, which I still had the option to do, it was all right there. I said, I'm going to hit the brakes on this and try something else. When you say empty, is it just like a lack of meaning? Is that, you know, something, yeah. there's, no, there's nothing transcendent about this. No. I do this thing and I, and I need to do it again. Yeah. Like it, 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 didn't, it didn't meet any... Need. It didn't fill any void. Not in, only do you have to do it again, you have to do more and you have to do it more frequently. Now, coincidentally, I am a father, mm -hmm. so I knew what real happiness was. Mm -hmm. I knew what real interactions that produced love and, and fruit were. So, you know, on, and as I was living this crazy lifestyle, I was able to separate it completely from my daughter. When she was around, I was a good dad, and I was at all the football games, and I was at the soccer games and gymnastics. And after 25 years of having both of them, you know, mm -hmm. I looked back and said, well, this one worked. And all my friends that are living this square lifestyle, they're happy. And I called them clowns and squares, and here I am. Mm -hmm. I'm the square. Yeah, I've got 21-year-old whiskey. That doesn't do anything, you know. I mean, you drink it, it's gone. Whereas real-life interactions and... and the real stuff.
-hmm. you know, it appealed to me. So I had the option to continue, but it was just unattractive. Yeah. So, so you go and you live by yourself, mm -hmm. and what, how, how, what was the role of that in, in your transition, and where you where well, you eventually came to? I like to say I was put in a narrow place, so mm -hmm. I can examine things. All the uh, glitz and glamour were gone, so I was okay. left with my thoughts, and I decided to start looking into more spiritual things. So I started back down the esoteric route of okay. you know looking through all that. Again, I'm, you know, I'm like, these are quaint, these are lovely poems. Some of them are beautiful in imagery and mythology. So, but I can't look at the world around me and see that this is real. So through this pursuit, I, uh, you know, I was still doing YouTube videos and stuff. And one night, I remember, I was bored, and I said, uh, I said I'm going to watch a debate. And I got a little, little dram of whiskey, and I sat down, and it was David Berlinski and Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> okay. And I was like, oh, Christopher Hitchens, I wish I could clink glasses. You're, yeah. you know, I know your breath probably smells like mine. Let's, let's destroy this yeah. God boy. And at the end of it, I remember sitting there like, he just ate his lunch. <laughs> Who is this David Berlinski? Like, yeah. what, what? There is a God. What just okay. happened? Yeah. And that led me down. I think the next video underneath that was Astrophysicist Finds Scientific Theory or Method in Genesis, and it was Hugh Ross and then Ravi Zacharias. So my effort just to laugh and scoff ended up blowing up in my face, mm -hmm. and it left me uh, questioning what I had believed until that point. So then I decided to look into Christianity. And uh, did you Did you have any, like, oh, this is what my mom was about, or my mom and dad were about. Did that hold you back at all? Or Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I had that year decades ago, so okay. that was why I was like, nope. And also, you know, being part of that culture, it was everywhere, so I never really, that was the last option to look at for mm -hmm. some reason. Okay. I, I thought for some reason maybe the societal guilt or something. I was like, ah, our way can't be right. Mm -hmm. The East seems more quaint, mm -hmm. you know, so I went with that. And then uh, Christianity was the last. So, so what? Describe for us, you know, the your transition now. You're, you're looking into, you know, real, you know, theism, Christianity. Mm -hmm. What fill in the gaps for us? What um, still, still checking out like the Hermetica, uh, okay. things like that. And after the Belinsky thing, I started kind of looking at what parts of, were valid, like you know, really searching out explanations for difficult things. Mm -hmm. And this was the summer of 2016 when this happened. I would say around August when the when the uh, debate happened. And over through the fall, I kept looking and looking at stuff. And as each thing, I was like, "Well, this can't." I found the loophole here, and I'll go mm -hmm. find it. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus could not have ascended. No one of reputable source would say that. Okay, Luke's a doctor. Okay, and he's a historian. Okay. So as I encountered this information, my brain knew, without a doubt, that this was accurate, mm -hmm. verifiable, and historically, you know, checkable, mm -hmm. testable. So uh, it, it took a minute for my heart to catch up, and uh, that part wasn't so glamorous or as fun as, you know, philosophers and great mm -hmm. debates. Uh, on December 31st, I was sitting in my house, and, uh, you know, Christmas had passed. I already heard all the Jesus I wanted to hear. It was weighing on me anyways. I was kind of mad that it was in my face because I knew it was the truth and I didn't want to deal with it. And I admit, that, uh, that entailed admitting I was wrong mm -hmm. for decades and right. changing my life. Um, so 
I kept denying it and denying it, and one day it was on the TV. Shouldn't have been there, so I turned it off. I grabbed a brief history of time, and I'm like, just flip it open because I'd read the book. I just wanted to touch base. I actually ended up on the part where he's, it's, it's a creation argument if God started the world with rules or if he intervenes, you know, going through some of the, the uh, entertainment there. Man, there's God again. So I opened up a magazine. There's Jesus again. So I said, all right, I'm going to Facebook. And this was literally like <laughs> everywhere. It was making me Everything mad. you turned on. <laughs> and I put it on Facebook and... I was like, all right, flipping through there, and I saw Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid. He's a wrestler, real bad dude at the time, known for his uh, drug addiction, his womanizing, and pretty much everything I was all about. And I thought, gotcha, Jesus. You will not be here. And opened it up, and it was his testimony. <laughs> so I decided to keep the dignity and skip the flood and... Uh, you know, because I thought that might be the next sign, and I hit my knees and uh, just started bawling for a good half hour, realizing that I had been wrong. And uh, that wasn't really the part that made me sad. It was the fact that, uh, you know, you f I felt immediately, immediately, and knew that I had been forgiven of everything, like everything. And I was, like, trying to go through my head and apologize for it, and it was like, it doesn't matter. Right. You it's don't, done. don't need the grocery list. Yeah, yeah. it's done. That's covered. So, and that was December thirty first. Wow. Now, now, did you did you remember that? Essentially, did you remember the gospel because of what you know you had heard in the past, or you had you know, as you're going into these different sources, you run into it. Uh, was it a little bit of both, or I did. My my mother insisted on uh, the readings. That's what we called them. Every Christmas, she would make right. us read the life and times of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by Charles Dickens. Oh, and okay. he actually did a really good job of relaying the Gospels in an easy fashion. They did. They separated it over 24 parts. Oh. So you read one every night for December and then 25th. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of the, the miracles. Jesus' life was all in that. I mean, it's. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. It's, no, it's, I haven't read it. It's a great account. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so as I was going through that, I was remembering things. And then little things like my mom would wake me up every day saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice. So. So I was raised up in the way, um, but I roundly rejected it, roundly rejected it. I was done. What would you say to somebody now who, uh, again, if you could talk to yourself and go back and, you know, five, ten, you know, whatever number of years ago, and, because uh, I'm sure you, you know, with your web presence, you meet people who are just like you. Um, so how do you... How do you have that conversation? How do you advise them? How do you say no? You, you this is just going to take you to nowhere, and you need to be your attention needs to be here and not there. I mean, how do you handle that conversation? What would you say to yourself, and what do you say to people now? I don't so much tell them. I don't really do the warning of no, you're wrong. This is going to lead you mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that would have worked with me. If you okay. told me I was wrong, I'd automatically dismissed you. Instead, what I do, like if I, and generally the thing is a lot of stuff is esoteric or, you know, the new age studies. I direct them to sources that I know will enlighten them on other things okay. um, and move them towards the gospel, if not the actual gospel itself, if they're ready for that. Mm -hmm. You know, but I know for myself it was step by step, little things like debates. Oh, you're a big Hitchens fan. Have mm -hmm. you seen him debate Berlinski? Mm -hmm. No, you should check that out and leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Little seeds, little tiny seeds is, is how I, I, I you know. That's do, you, do you think that, that 
okay, well, I'll just say the church, you know, either, either, do you think the church, or are there specific ministries that you think do a good job with people like you? Does the, does the church generally drop the ball here, or is it sort of like, well, you know, they're kind of okay, I mean, we're, how would you assess how, again, Christians generally, or the church, interacts with people like yourself? And if, and if there's some gap there, I mean, what, what would you recommend? Or maybe a specific source? Or is there a ministry that really does this well? I believe to uh, give credit where credit is due, um, I felt very loved by all the believers in my life through all my turmoil. And I know that I received prayers. So that is one thing I want to commend them. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there was, and it's, there's two parts to this. Okay. One, I wouldn't have received any, anything anyways. Two, they don't know how to even address what I know. Um, I find that the church runs so quickly from anything that is not their doctrine that they will not understand it and don't know how to deal with it or explain it or rebuke it, uh, debunk it or anything. I think you have to understand what you're talking about to advise on it. And uh, understandably so, they're scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they shouldn't be because, you know, knowing who we are filled with mm-hmm. and what side we're on, we should be very confident in all of our endeavors to face those things head on. I think um, there is no min- there's not much ministry for it. There are a few people out there that have, that have converted, um, you know, from that extreme to this, but mm-hmm. it's definitely the exception. Uh, but I mean, there, there's a lot of ministry like for broken people, like with addiction mm-hmm. or, you know, this or that specific problem, but like in the, the whole esoteric occult thing, yeah. again, that, that, again, this is just my perception as an outsider in terms of experience and sort of, you know, somebody who, you know, I'm interested in, in this material and I, and I, you know, try to interact with it myself, but it seems like it just really freaks people out, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know they, they might be willing to hear you talk about it as as a Christian, yeah. but that's a whole lot different than sitting down with somebody who's into this, mm-hmm. and either again knowing what to say or just not getting freaked out. Yeah. So, um, I mean, how how do you now? You have tell tell us what you're doing now because you obviously are trying to fill the void here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach this now in terms of ministry, an online presence, or what is it that you're doing? Me personally, I have a YouTube channel and a, a website in conjunction with it called The Good Ground Ministry. Okay. Um, uh, the website is thegoodgroundministry.com. And what I'm doing is just little short videos, no theme to anything, just little pieces of information that I encountered on the way because that's what led me to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave the analogy uh, that uh, you know the path that's laid by or that's formed by laying one stone at a time. And they're not all the same. They're not all related. But at the end, you have a path, mm-hmm. and that's essentially what I'm doing. And I'm putting each little you know piece that I know, and then the the truth with it. You know, the deception that I am aware of, and then the truth with it. And just you know, have fun little entertaining videos without uh, you know with staying away from dumbing down Christianity or watering it down or presenting it in a new hip fashion. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I'm giving little anecdotal things to help people realize that what they're being fed isn't completely accurate or even educated. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. So g- give your, your site and your channel out one more time. It's the Good Ground Ministry. Okay. 
and the website is thegoodgroundministry.com. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything new that's like on the horizon that, that you're you're planning to do, or is it just sort of expanding on that? Always. Always. There's, I've got. Can, can you can you it's, say anything? It's, uh, um, don't, don't give away the store if you don't want to. Not not really anything that's completed. To uh, I've got a lot of concepts, a lot of ideas, inspiration. What I'm doing right now, as a young Christian, I'm at a crux. Okay. I've been given this platform of six thousand followers at this point, which is mm -hmm. a lot for me. I and to be, uh, I'll be very candid. I feel like the platform that I have exceeds my development as a Christian. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing right now is trying to balance that and not step too far away from where I should be, mm -hmm. but still use the platform and provide information to keep people, you know, like just be very honest with who right, I am, right. where I'm at, and the information that I'm providing. Well, chances are that'll that'll actually attract people because it's. You can file that under just being authentic. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, that's and and so right now uh, the plans I'm just kind of praying and letting God lead me where they are. Mm -hmm. um, jumping on opportunities like this to get out and mm -hmm. share, mm -hmm. not denying any anything that I feel the Spirit is leading me to do that will produce fruit, and uh, you know just trying to buckle down. I don't have a plan, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't I, think you I, need I often that. say that too. Yeah, and I, and I don't worry too much about no. it. No, I, 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 my plan is to follow the Spirit, and since I have been doing that, a lot better than the previous 40 years. <laughs> right. Really improved, right. so yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to, to come here and talk with us and share your story and what you're doing and just the, um, you know, the, the transition, really, the, the, te the testimony uh, that you have and your willingness to not, you know, sort of keep regretting everything but you know really having a grasp on the gospel and then you know knowing that that it's a platform now you know it's it's redeemed it's both redeemed in past tense and it can be redemptive in the future too god is yeah. good yeah thanks god is good thank you mm -hmm. it's a pleasure yeah. thanks. thanks for watching fringe pop 321 please come back and watch more of our interview series and of course our episodes and don't forget to visit our website for more information about our guest and everything we do here, because what you know may not be so. Fringe Pop 321, the show that believes the world is stranger than we think, but thinking should not be strange. We are back again with Vocab Malone, and we are in a series of segments sort of evaluating the claims, the beliefs of the black Hebrew Israelites. And last time we talked about Deuteronomy 28, sort of the core text for them. But earlier you mentioned a lot of things about, again, for lack of a better term, classifying races, you know, with people groups in the Bible. So I want to unpack that a little bit more and hear what you think about the way they do that. You know, sure. Just critique that. So again, we remember when we talk about one West Hebrew Israelites, they believe that every modern people group 
can be found in the pages of Scripture Correct. as an ancient people group and should be viewed that way. So they do that are, with two main ways. Go are, ahead. Are, are they aware of how many people groups there really are in the modern world? Because like like the you know like United Bible Society, there you know right. how many thousand languages are there? Yeah, are, yeah. Are they aware of that? Few. <laughs> no, they um, they you know it's funny. Even starting in Genesis ten, the Table of Nations, yeah. uh, a lot of scholars say there's seventy nations represented there. Right. It's, it's, it can actually be geographical, just areas. Yeah, they've got only uh, eighteen groups. Of people that they yeah. categorize, and right? if and if you if you just go by people groups, it's hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. And, you know, but anyway, I, I don't want to take you on a rabbit trail there, but that that just popped into my head because, like, do we really know how big this is? Right. And so they think they've identified them when it comes to the one Westers, and um, they uh, they go about referring to people by those names. So sure. you know, uh, uh, for example, there's a Christian apologist who interacted with him named James White. They call him James White the Edomite. <laughs> and so because uh, it rhymes yeah. yeah yeah and so he's an Edomite now if you think about it though the Edomite classification is helpful for this religion because Edomites were uh, were somebody who was supposed to be a, a help to Israel at being such close relatives you know Jacob Esau mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but were often enemies instead and we're glad about their destruction and indeed are the focus of some of the judgment oracles sure. in the Bible, specifically, yeah. especially the book of Obadiah. Mm -hmm. And so it has, it's helpful for polemics for, for against, against folks. But let me show you some of the okay. ways they do this association. So I have some notes here I'm going to actually need to read. First of all, it begins at Genesis 25.5. Uh, Esau was red when he emerged from the womb. This is how they would describe it, Okay. okay. And hairy, and so they speak about the average white person being red and hairy. And red because they get out in the sun, they get burnt, they blush, you can see their face, or if you slap them, they turn red. <laughs> right. So red and hairy white people. And he was a good hunter, and I kid you not, they go into tirades about white people waiting in trees long times to hunt animals and stuff, and how that's like uh, something they're skilled at uh, because Boy, of their take I, on the characteristics of Esau. I, I don't know that you could find anybody in... In West <laughs> modern America, would be very skilled at that. But go ahead. Well, uh, you know, so that's that. It uh, continues on in uh, Genesis twenty-seven forty, okay. which references to the sword as a blessing, and they use that to explain the military prowess of European powers, uh, more the colonial during the colonial era, okay. and the modern United States. This con association continues on with Obadiah one three, which states there that Edom's habitation is high. It says Edom's habitation is high. Now, you know, you got Petra down there, and you got these guys living in rock cliffs and all that stuff, yeah. right? Any guesses, since you're kind of learning the trajectory of this, what do you, how do you think, if you just had to guess, what do you so think they're going to say? People who live in cities and tall buildings? Skyscrapers. See, I, I'm, you're I'm getting feel, it. I am feeling really un-Edomite here because I'm afraid of heights, and I'm not going to hunt anything from trees, <laughs> and I don't live in a city. <laughs> go, go ahead. But if you go out in the sun, it'll prove... Yeah, I'll, I'll get sunburned. All right. So, yeah, it's an allusion to tall buildings and skyscrapers, right. usually supposedly erected by white people. Uh, Obadiah 1.4 states that Edom will exalt itself like an eagle, and they po point that to be being a symbol, the eagle, for Rome, Nazi Germany, and the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And uh, listen to this. This is, this is true. It's, just, it's hard to stomach some of this, this one West interpretation. Sure. The same verse refers to Edom setting its nest among the stars. They associate that with, any guesses? Penthouses? I don't know. The moon landing. Oh, the moon landing. And the, and the, oh, and the, nest, with the, and, and the nest with the space station. 
Okay. Because what did Neil Armstrong say? What has landed? The eagle has landed. Ah, he gave himself away. Gave himself away. Yeah, so um, this is some of the association. They do some further associations that I won't get into here right now. But here's what's interesting. That's good because I can still think in a linear fashion <laughs> okay. after listening to this. In some extra-biblical texts, there's a few places in rabbinic texts that associate Rome symbolically with Edom. Mm-hmm. And I've looked at some of these. I have a friend who's looked at even more of them. And it's sort of a symbolic way to make Rome sort of a new arch enemy. It doesn't ever seem to indicate a literal physical descent. Right. But even if Rome somehow were the Edomites which that's not what these extra-biblical rabbinic texts are saying. Well, you, you, it still doesn't mean the United States and Europe and everyone else You know what the is. intermediary is there? It's Babylon. Edom gets associated with Babylon. I didn't know that. In Did, the Old Testament. Really? Because Edom, the, the Edomites assisted in the conquest yeah, of Judah. And laughed. Right, right. And so since Rome and Babylon was a, a major association, it's not shocking that Rome would be associated with Edom as well ah. because, because those two are associated in the Old Testament. That's a coherent rabbit trail. Yeah, yeah, no, that's no, that's, that's helpful. Because so part of what I'm, we try I'm to do. I'm sorry to throw in some no, coherent that's good. rabbit trails. With that's good because what we, what some of us, so like, I have a friend named Abu who okay. uh, some of this uh, I get from picking his brain, and he's the guy I called during the break. He was my, uh, I said okay. I'm a phone a friend. Okay. Uh, he's just fantastic, and part of what we do, we talk, is because it sounds. Sometimes I feel like we take some of the Hebrews' light beliefs more seriously than what they do, and we try to understand what are they really trying to say here, and where does this come from? Right. And so sometimes we'll try to see. And and I mentioned earlier when I talked about the history of One West, uh, a little bit their association with the commandment keepers and how the commandment keepers had some association with mainstream rabbinic Judaism. Well, there's sure. a picture of Ariah at his bar mitzvah, and he later became the leader of the One West school. My point is that there's some leftover rabbinic influence and they could have been exposed sure, to maybe yeah. texts or passages like this at some point yeah. because we wonder where did it where did it come from but there's a key one and then uh let me read one more here this is from the apocrypha so if you see a group of guys out on the street and they're holding this specific edition okay. of the apocrypha king, king james version they like this one this one is sharp enough to throw at someone to hurt the guy these really sharp corners <laughs> they, they don't use it that way i'm just saying but that's the one they like to use um there's a passage in second Ezra six nine that says Esau is the end of the world and Jacob is the beginning of it that followeth. So they take that to mean whites, white nations will be the last nations in power or control before Yahawashai comes back. Before to some restoration. Okay, yes. Yeah, right. And uh, of course, the way it goes like this, the first time I encountered some guys in the street, I said, you know, this sounds really racist. They said, thank you very much. Yahweh is racist. Read Romans 9.13, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. See, God loves us and hates white people. So if Esau is Edom, he's hated. Them. Even though they have the same father, how does that work? Uh, how does well, that work genealogically and biologically? It's weird. They're twins, and one is essentially black and one is essentially white, but they like to point to these news articles that will show a couple that has one child who is a, a twin who is dark-skinned and the other one who is light-skinned. So they point to those news articles as justification that this could happen. Uh, but it is a little even, weird. Even though the text says nothing about that. No. Well, one justification they use, they say, well, Genesis 25, uh, well, no, another passage. I'm sorry, I forget where it is in Genesis. It says Jacob uh, had smooth skin. You know? mm-hmm. And they'll say uh, uh, a quote that uh, one of the older guys said, uh, his, his skin was smooth as, as the black man's invariably is. Right. So smooth, smooth means black. Well, not being hairy. 
not being Harry. Yeah, so there yeah. are no Harry Blackman. I mean, uh, again, there's I, always I, exceptions. I, well, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of exceptions. <laughs> so there's so much justification for Edomites. Yeah. And uh, they will not accept, you know, that if you're white, you're not an Edomite when it comes to one Westers. Now, some of the non-one Westers still believe whites are Edomites. Others say, no, they're of Japheth. And uh, they, uh, the one Westers have a big problem with Hebrews like to say uh, white man is Japheth um, or descendant from Japheth. Um, one other thing about this is sort of just the strangest of all. I don't know if we have time to get the Moabites. Yeah, let, let's do some Here's Israel. We go like this. We got these Transjordan kingdoms, right. Edom. So, Moab, Ammon. Right, so for, for viewers, Transjordan means, if you're looking at a map, you've got Israel or Canaan on the, on the left side of the Jordan River, and then you have the Mediterranean Sea. Well, on the other side, to the right of the Jordan, that's the Transjordan. It's the other side of the Jordan. So go ahead. And those three kingdoms were in traditionally geom geographical yep. proximity to each other, yep. right? Yep, right, right. Vertically, right next to each other. Here's what's strange. They want us to believe dark-skinned peoples, you know, brown-skinned peoples, whatever you want to call them, populating, name, name a country, right, of the A&E, ancient Near East, and boop, 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 white people. Right in the middle of that. Yeah. Chinese and Japanese, because the Moabites are, are oh. considered to be Chinese and the Ammonites are Japanese. Let me show you briefly why they say this, um, which is... This is offensive to talk about. I don't know how to talk about it without sounding offensive. Not towards Hebrewsites, but towards Chinese people. Okay. I, I apologize for having to repeat this information. I'm not joking right. right now. Okay. We went to the ends of the earth to build the Kia Nero EV because we share your belief that the earth is worth the effort. Get 0% APR for up to 66 months on the purchase of a new 2021 Nero EV. So, if you read Genesis 19, 30 through 38, mm -hmm. Lot has incestuous relationships with his daughters, producing okay. uh, Moab comes out of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, Hebrew Israelites proceed to say I'll try, <laughs> that Chinese people have a look of a deformed person because of that. And that's why Chinese people... Because they're the result of incest yes, or something. Yes, and so because okay. that's their genetic foundation, that's why they look the way they look. I'm not joking. They say it's proof, oh. actually, that they're Moabites. Right. And, well, uh, no wonder they would they would uh, accept the label of racist, but go ahead. Come yes, on. they use very strong words. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get more into that, but they actually, there's more argumentation to that particular line, but you can just see how utterly ridiculous and, sure. uh, to say the least, offensive it is. Psalm 60, verse 8, and Psalm 108, 9, both declare, uh, Yahweh says, Moab is my wash pot. And... Um, what do, they, what do they do when Jerusalem is a whore? Well, but, they're Hebrew Israelites. I mean, you're right, but no, they, they talk about our people being. I mean, because they, they speak yeah. with the conditions in America being, you know, hey, this has happened because. Right, but God, this is God calling His own people a harlot, prostitute, but, whore. It, you're right, but it's different than what you because think of spiritual here. Spiritual adultery. Yeah. It's different than what you think. Where well, they're going to go with go, this? Go back to the Moabites. Sir. No, because I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what the text means because okay. the text. Is saying right. Yahweh is you're, you're thinking what the text means is your problem. You need to not think of what it actually means. All right, I'll, I'll so, try to shut that. So off. yeah, so more at my wash pot. You know, this is a basin in which I wash off my soiled hands and my dirty feet. Okay. Uh, and so it's sort of something where the it's sort of something contemptuous and it's something that's sort of under you. It my understanding of the Moab as my wash pot essentially is this is showing subjection in some way. Mm -hmm. Moab going to be judged basically. They take it as prophetic evidence for, this is their precept or conclusion or presupposition, not mine, mm -hmm. 
as perfected evidence for why black Americans enjoy Chinese food. So oh, you're right. I didn't see there's that stories of old one Westers yeah. when they would go out to eat, and one particular guy would always say, while they were at this Chinese restaurant in New York, Moab is my wash pot. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, <laughs> so, so there's some of the other justification. Right. Um, another one is quite odd. Deuteronomy 23, 1 and verse 3. Uh, they tie this, them together. So, so this one's odd and the other one was? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What am I saying here? Right? It's, it's a spectrum. So this refers to the exclusion of anyone from the congregation who had had their genitals severed. And verse 3 refers to the exclusion of Moabites from the congregation. Right. What they do is they tie those two together and then claim that the severing of genitalia is prevalent, especially among the Chinese and Japanese, because of sex reassignment surgery. They say it's prevalent among those populations. And the fact that it happens in those populations proves that the Moabites and the Ammonites are in East Asia. How could you have sex reassignment surgery in days before there was They're surgery and now. anesthesia? And they're saying now that they tie these together for now. You know what I'm saying? Not, not right, back then. But, but aren't we talking about the origins of these people? They're talking about. Remember, so the Chinese restaurant one is a modern thing. Okay. You know, Moab's my wash pot is a okay. modern thing. All right. They leapfrog a lot of yeah, history. Yeah, well, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. And so, uh, lastly, Judges three seventeen describes describes a, a fat Moabite king. Okay. They argue this parallels. I can tell you enjoy this one already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want to guess? They're all fun. Do you want to guess this one? I, I have given up all hope of the being popularity able to thought process. <laughs> of sumo wrestlers and corpulent depictions of the Buddha in East Asia. Okay. The fat Mobite king okay. of uh, Judges 317. Right. Now, again, we could be like, what? But here's what to remember. Once you feel like your identity has been affirmed in this way, right. The other arguments are really secondary. Right. You don't, you don't need reason when you have that thing that, that is most meaningful and, to you. And they've given a lot more attention to the Edomite-Israelite relationship than to other nations. Mm -hmm. And what I did just now is I gave you the Edomites and Moabites because, to my knowledge, those are the out of the 18 nations of Gentile, uh, Gentile heathen nations who are mm -hmm. unelect, non-elect, whatever, those are the ones that are most fleshed out, the Edomite one and the Moabite one. Mm -hmm. The others are much less fleshed out, like for Arabs... They kind of just say, well, the Ishmael, everyone knows right. they don't, they, are not, In other words, they don't have a, as detailed of an explanation within their Yeah, the others are even community. less than okay. the two. Are. Edom could go on for a while. They have a lot right. from Edom, supposedly. Okay. But but uh, they just haven't given as much thought, and it's just not as important. So right. there's two of the Gentile nations that they assign. So, so basically what we have is we have, again, we have no attention at all to the original context of Scripture. There's no interest in really looking at it for what it it means, especially, again, in its own context, because all of these things, you know, were reflective and happened in, you know, real-time boots on the ground in antiquity. You know, these are, these are real-time events, even in the biblical storyline, you know, right. Edom and all that kind of stuff. So, so that isn't something that the, that this, that the black Israelite thing really cares about. What they care about is these, it's this correlation and mm -hmm. causation fallacy and all of that is secondary to the identity that this gives them. Yes. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, and that's a powerful motivating No, it, it is. It is. It, it honestly is. And, and if, you know, if other communities, i.e., like, let, let's just, you know, be blunt here, if the Christian community has not, you know, adequately addressed that need, you know, for these people, then, you know, we, we can't blame them. We have to blame us. Right. You know, that's what it comes down to. A lot of these new uh, alternative 
spiritualities in the city context oh, sure. uh, yeah. do that kind of thing. Yeah. So the yeah. Kemetic folks say yeah. our ancestors are in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And uh, Moorish Temple Science does something different. Nation of Islam is the lost tribe of Shabazz from from Mecca. Yeah, uh, they you know well, the historic the cults do this too. You know, this else. is this is community building. So, but it's interesting. Uh, a true understanding of actual biblical Christianity would actually allow a person to retain yes. their African identity and be yeah. proud of it. Now, it's a shame yeah. a lot of people the world the name of, held the name of Christ. And America did literally the opposite, yep. and it's, yep. a, it's a real travesty to what's went down. And you know, they got the the curse of Ham and all this kind of nonsense going yeah. on, or the curse of Cain. It's and, bad uh, biblical interpretation. We've actually done episodes on fringe pop on those topics. Oh, I'd love to see them. You know, it's just it's yet. just terrible biblical interpretation, and it's sad, and it's yeah. created a problem. And so, a true biblical understanding, though, would allow you to. In fact, the first Gentile convert is in in the Book of Acts is an Ethiopian. Mm -hmm. I was reading the other day, and a guy was like, "Oh, it's Cornelius in Acts 10." I'm like, "Why is he saying Cornelius? What about, yeah. what about Philip uh, with the, the Ethiopian eunuch? Yeah. That's yeah. a first Gentile convert yeah. that I that I see in the New Testament under the New Covenant." Like, and you have Acts 13. You have uh, someone from Cyrene and someone called Niger, sure. uh, which means black. Like, you have this there, and you have people from Alexandria, which is in Egypt, which is sure. Africa. Like, you have plenty of places to go to say. You know, this is a religion for all people. There's a long heritage. And there's yeah. not an ethnic hierarchy in it, you know, like unlike Hebrew right. Islamism. Right. So, uh, yeah, but. Well, th thanks for, you know, unpacking some of that. I mean, I know some of it was funny, but it's actually pretty serious you yes. know, when you get right down to it. And it affects people's real lives. People's marriages are yeah. getting destroyed over this, Mike. There are churches that are being flipped into Hebrew Israelite churches, and there's some kind of weird hybrid. Churches that are getting split in half. There's, I could, if we did a test, we could share a bunch of horror stories on this if we wanted but since we've been doing this ministry, me and a bunch of people I work with sometimes calls ourselves the Shield Squad, and there's other related ministries, Soldiers of God, have seen a lot of people also come out because now they're finally hearing new information, and they have a place to turn to talk about their experience. So it's not all bad, but the church can't go to sleep on this. All right, well, thanks again, and we'll have you back one more time because I want to discuss one other thing, again, that's, that's really important in relation to their doctrine, right. uh, things that uh, we need to be aware of, so... Thanks for watching Fringe Pop 321 again. Please visit our website at fringepop321.com. We try to direct people to good information on the topics that we do here. All the episodes have corresponding websites where you can get good information, peer-reviewed material, things that will elevate the discussion, we hope, uh, for whatever topic it is we're talking about. If you want to support what we're doing here, go to fp321.com forward slash S, as in the letter S, and please donate to what we're doing. And come back again and watch some more episodes because what you know may not be so. Welcome to Fringe Pop 321, the show that believes the world is stranger than we think, but thinking should not be strange. We are back again with Vocab Malone, and we are in a series of segments sort of evaluating the claims, the beliefs of the black Hebrew Israelites. And last time we talked about Deuteronomy 28, sort of a core text for them. But earlier you mentioned a lot of things about, again, for lack of a better term, classifying races, you know, with people groups in the Bible. So I want to unpack that a little bit more and hear what you think about the way they do that. You know, sure. Just critique that. 
So again, we remember when we talk about one West Hebrew Israelites, they believe that every modern people group can be found in the pages of Scripture okay. as an ancient people group and should be viewed that way. So they do that are, with two main ways. Go are, ahead. Are, are they aware of how many people groups there really are in the modern world? Because like like the you know like United Bible Society, there you know right. how many thousand languages are there? Yeah, are they, yeah, are there's, they aware there's quite of that? a few. No, they. Um, they, you know, it's funny, even. Welcome to Fringe Pop 321, the show that believes the world is stranger than we think, but thinking should not be strange. This is our third in a series with Vocab Malone, and for the sake of our viewers, if you have not watched the first two, you need to do that, because we talked about the history of the black Hebrew-Israelite movement, and then last time we talked about, you know, what are the sort of the core ideas, the core doctrines, and this time we want to get into the question of, how do they defend this stuff? I mean, all that stuff we just talked about, how, how do they articulate this from scripture and just... If you were having a conversation or a debate with one, what are they going to do? How do they defend what they believe? I'll give you five classes okay. of defense that they offer. Categories. Categories, okay. yeah. And uh, I'll start with maybe smallest to greatest. Uh, so one way, and so this is the, the least way, but it can't be discounted that it's part of what they use, okay. are angelic visitations or visions. So the twelve tribes that, of Israel that's chart. Common with you know fringe movements, yeah. Yeah, okay. the twelve tribes of Israel chart and the Lashua and Kadash language are both supposed to be revealed to most sources. Say to Ariah, who was in charge of the One West School for a long time. Okay. Crowdy, of course, in 1892 had a vision, but one we haven't really talked about that not all the camps accept. This is one particular camp that would accept this. They're called the Israelite Church of God and Jesus Christ, but they're significant because it's where Ariah is still today. He's still alive. Okay. This camp, though, um, was the original school. They just changed their name. So the original school is now called the ICGJC. Mm -hmm. Ariah is there sort of as a figurehead. He's an older man. But the man in charge, he says, his name is Tazadakia, real name Jermaine Grant, says mm -hmm. that on this trip to Israel that the school took near the Mount Olive area, he had a vision that informed him that he was the, quote, God-sent comforter manifested physically. And so the sounds bizarre, obviously, someone saying they're essentially the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Sure. But it makes sense with, within one Westism because they teach reincarnation. And part of what they try to do in the, during the school's heyday was to determine which one of their leaders were which figures kind of, of old. Kind like Dalai Lama kind of stuff, you know, which one's the next one. Ariah was John the Revelator. Um, a man named Mashah was King David and Moses. Tahar was rumored to be Paul. And so, you know, they kind of took up a lot of the best characters. Well, later on, <laughs> Tazadakia says, ah, no one's got the Holy Spirit, right, though. Yeah. And so um, his uh, critics call him comfy, but the members in the school don't call that. They'll say the God sure. sent comforter. But that's who he claimed to be. So only one camp accepts that, but that shows you the importance of vision. And one more, yeah. when the school, which again, everyone must remember, this is the, the main school. Uh, just under a different name, that's why it gets uh -huh. confusing, was doing these different doctrinal changes, such as Jermaine Grant 
is actually uh, the, whole, the God sent comforter. Ariah says that before his father, who was also involved with the commandment keepers in the beginning of the One West School, his, uh, his name is Yaquab, real name uh, Peter Sherrod. Ariah says before his father died, he received a visit from an angel, and the angel told him that a lot of the doctrine of the original school was wrong. So this was used as a way to justify right. some of the changes that were going on. But it's sort of retconning to the nerds in the audience who know that term. It was total retcon because uh, Yaikwab was already dead. So Arya is saying this angelic visitation happened at this time. And so it, you see how it happens. Now, not all the leaders resort to this, okay? Uh, but, but it's significant within the school of One West that enough of it has happened. So that's sort of the... We we can't say least important, but right. that's on the that's on the, the low end of the defense. It's the least frequent. Okay. I'll say that. Right. I've run into one particular Hebrew Israelite who does say that an angel appeared to him in the sky and he had an afro and all he did was smile at him. Mm-hmm. And the the man says that he took that as confirmation to let him know he was an Israelite. The angel was smiling at him. Right. But this was just one personal guy I knew. So so what how else did they defend their, their internal subjectivism. So related to the person Basically, a sense or a feeling. This is the identity thing that we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's almost like someone will say, uh, the day I discovered or heard I was an Israelite, I always knew. So it's kind of like the Mormon burning in the bosom sort of thing? Yes, okay. and sometimes they use the word actually vibration. They'll okay. say, I had the, uh, I could tell uh, the, the, by the vibration. And sometimes they do this also to determine who was not an Israelite, this internal subjectivism. They'll say, that man's vibration is all wrong. There's no way he's, he's a Jake. Now, a Jake means an Israelite who's not awakened yet to their status as an Israelite. Because before Israel was named Israel, he was named Jacob. Yeah. So Jake is sort of their religious slang for that. So they justify this for the test of spirits verse of 1 Thessalonians. And also the, the spirit being subject to the spirit of the prophets in 1 Corinthians. That's yeah. how they use that. But they might say something like, you could tell by his vibration he's a Hamite. And that's significant. Because on their theology, Hamites look like them but aren't them. They're another people. So they believe Africans who are Hamites will be in bondage to them right. in the so kingdom. It's a very convenient way to distance yourself or embrace, you know, depending on what, what direction you want to go. Yeah, yeah, so that internal subjectivism is a key thing. And they even do this to their opponents. Uh, so they might say the reason these two uh, Edomites are sitting on this couch is because they know their time is short. Mm-hmm. And Esau is trying to fight against this. But they know they're Edomites. So they actually use the internal subjectivism, even projecting on others. Right. It's just not. It's they're they're internally subjectivizing someone else's internal subjectivism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and that makes perfect. You <laughs> <laughs> you're okay. getting it. You're getting yeah. it. Yeah. All right. So what else? Uh, perceived authorities. So if you're in a camp, these men are prophets. They call them elder and apostles. Sure. GMS always opens up every video saying double an- double honors to the elders and apostles of Great Millstone. Um, so. Uh, the perceived authorities within the camp, but also some transcend camps, meaning people who are considered mm-hmm. important or works that are considered important by all do, all people. How do they get that status? Is that also visionary or is that attributed to them by the community? Well, um, every now and then you'll see someone who picks up a little bit of real Hebrew knowledge mm-hmm. and they can teach basic Hebrew grammar and, uh, and, and, and they like to do, uh, sometimes they start doing gematria. Is this real Hebrew or the their version of Hebrew or, or both? It's weird. You what happens? I've, what I've seen is when uh, when one Westerners learn real Hebrew, which is kind of rare, yeah. which is really really rare. They're discouraged to do it. They kind of become ambivalent about Lashawan Kadash, right, and so right. it, it, it they have a weird relationship with their own roots. But 
non-One West Hebrew Israelites who aren't attached to Lashua and Kadash, sometimes okay. they do learn Hebrew. Okay. And uh, when they do that, they like to do gematria. So sometimes they become authorities because of some of their Hebrew knowledge. For our, for the sake of our viewers, gematria is just assigning. Definition. You're probably better at it yeah, than I am. Well, it's, you, it's, it's assigning, assigning numbers to the characters right. and getting hidden meanings out of yeah, it. Yeah, numerical value to to letters and. And doing the math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes uh, there's a guy who I respect. So he'll probably watch this. This is not shade to him. Like, I I don't agree with some of his practice, how he gets there. But I respect him as as a man, and I respect a lot of what he does. His name is Zion Lex, and I've had friendly conversation with him. Um, He he knows a lot of information. Like, it's he's, he's, if you wanted to watch uh, an able apologist for Hebrew Islamism, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the things I'm talking about, even though they're more common on the street, they're not necessarily the best Hebrewism has to offer. Someone like Zion Lex would be someone who would be more formidable. You watch, it's like, oh, he's making some good points there. And again, it doesn't mean his religion's right, but... Uh, it means he's a little more attached to data that are real. He, he is. Yeah. And so, again, I mean, I'll give Zion Lex... I don't mind giving Zion Lex a shout-out. Like, if you watch him, you say, okay... Because sometimes, if you see a guy like that, a lot of what I'm saying won't seem to apply. Because you're like, well, this is not what Vocab was talking about. I'm talking about the common man on the street. He right. was like the right. guy at your job. The guy you're going to run into the street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. like that. But But... But um, you do sometimes see that. So he, they become authorities when they do that. But books as well, not just people living right now, even though this author is still alive, Rudolf Windsor, this is sort of the book of the book because what it does is offers them an entirely different alternative history okay. that props up their understanding of how they got where they got where you know, and different things like that. But the book itself is uh, not well-sourced at all. Just let me – I'll show you a leap in logic first. Okay. And if this is too much – cut it out or something it's, like that it's not that it's not that we've not seen any of those already right <laughs> so um they're talking about ancient black civilization chapter right. one in this book it's called from babylon to timbuktu by the way by rudolph windsor this area was also the location of the garden of eden and the people of this region were jet black so he's talking about the original folks being black yeah. and it's such a weird thing to use the jet black, jet it's black odd. Yeah. turn the page because the garden of eden is associated with the land of ethiopia we can conclude that the people were black so let me read that again. Because the Garden of Eden is associated with the land of Ethiopia, yeah. we can conclude that the people were black. I saw trees bend in a howling wind, their branches screaming. And I thought... So, uh... There's numerous problems right. in just that tiny little sentence. Well, the whole book is is like that. Like I've I've got all all the little places of the See, list. I'm still stuck on how you get Eden associated with Ethiopia. Um, but, but so we, they we, do it. I think he does it with the rivers. Um, so uh, page 23. Because the colored people of the world are in a majority, it is proper to infer that the whites have always been a minority, and that the black people are the original people of humanity. So the main problem, I think, there's a last yeah. sentence that the idea that black people are original people of humanity and it's humanity and it's weird how he, how he gets there. Let's read one more from page 25. Sure. Therefore, the leprosy that Naaman had will cleave unto you and unto your seed descendants forever. And he departed from his presence a leper as white as snow. This type of leprosy affected the reproductive organs, genes, and chromosomes that determine hereditary characteristics in his body. Uh, and I'll show you who's talking about it here in a second. This meant all his children would produce white offspring, even though he was a black man at first. This was the curse of Gehazi. I always mispronounce it. Gehazi. Gehazi. Yeah. So basically, lepers equals whites. They're accounting for the right. origin of white people. 
Right. So that's how he does it. Now, not all Hebrews lights do that, but that is a, a really common move. Sure, yeah. But I mean, just that sentence is incredibly tortured. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's being kind. The whole book is like that, okay. and it doesn't source. There's a place where he literally says, "The Bible Dictionary says." It actually says, "The Bible, the Bible Dictionary." What Smiths, yeah, Easton's, like, yeah, Cambridge, a, the Bible there's dictionary. There's only 50 or 60 of those. So yeah. that's that's the way the book is sourced. But they'll read it publicly. They'll hold it up, and um, you know they just give Windsor a pass. Yeah, I won't even ask if they get into like peer-reviewed journal literature because that seems kind of obvious. No, but there's a guy who's claiming he's going to do that. So I'll name drop him too. He'll take this segment okay. and put it. Divine Prospect. I don't really like calling him that. It's a little strange. But Ron Shields. But I, I know he calls himself Divine Prospect. I don't mean his disrespect right. to, to want to call him Ron Shields. Yeah, Anyways, I, 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 I'm betting I know what journals he's going to pick already because there are. Oh, couple, really? There are a couple that were created just to reinforce, like the uh, the Afrocentric view. Really? Yes. There wow. are a couple of journals that exist only to perpetuate that idea. Wow. And they, in other words, they have the veneer of right, scholarship right. and peer review. But basically, the only people that review the articles are people who already, you know, adopt oh, that idea. Well, I didn't know that exactly. Oh, no, well, we'll just, I want to hear more about right, this. When it comes out, just, just uh, you know, shoot okay. it to me and I'll, I'll let you know. If, but we, I'll let you know if my, if my intuition is correct. Stuff like that is why what we in the field, like my friend Adam Coleman uses the term a lot. I don't know who invented it, but a pseudo-scholarship. Yeah. It has the yeah. appearance or veneer in some way. But honestly, when you read this, I don't even think it has... No, th no th this doesn't even rise to that level. You know. <laughs> they would, to them, it does. But now, again, again we got to keep in mind, any movement grows over time, sure. and we've seen sure. them become more sophisticated and nuanced. Yeah, so no if doubt. I do this interview five years from now, um, some of it, they might be more sophisticated by right. then. So what are the, I think we covered three. Two more left. Two more. Second category, or we're going five from to one, uh, are what they call the color passages. Okay. These are scriptures that they believe describe uh, Israelites as black peoples. All right. And so the big one is with Jesus, whom most of them, when we're talking about one Westerners, call Yahawashai. Uh, Revelation 1, 14 through 15. Revelation 1, 14 through 15. And they zoom in on the idea of uh, the, where it says that Jesus' hair was white. Like uh, wool, um, they, they kind of... Morph that the, the, into the ancient of days imagery from yeah. Daniel seven. Yeah, they'll go back to Daniel seven, and they yeah. they they use that with Revelation, and basically they say Jesus had woolly hair. What people on earth have woolly hair? The so-called black man. And they'll okay. say his feet were burned like bronze or brass. They'll say what color is something when it gets burnt? I'll say black. So if his feet are black, what color is the rest of his body? <laughs> right. Even though it doesn't say black, it doesn't. Right. The, the passage is describing. The majesty and glory, glory and even indeed deity of, of heavenly Jesus, right. not the ethnicity of earthly Jesus. Right. The whole passage is basically a glowing man. If you read it yeah. from start to finish, and that's, his feet are glowing. Is yeah, what's and, that, and that's stock description of, of supernatural beings you know, just across the board in antiquity. But they, they do a thing where they say, well, if something's burnt, it's black. Right. Even though even though Hebrew has a word for black that isn't the word for burnished bronze, okay. Well, so there in the Greek see, in the I, in yeah, the I Greek with, with the Revelation passage, the sense of the word is like that. Their my understanding of the sense is not that they have been burned. It's like some completed process. It's like they're in the process of burning. 
along those lines. But, but I, I'm just thinking of Daniel, not not the Revelation right. stuff. The Daniel seven. I'm nine. thinking of this of the source text. What? So what's the other? Jeremiah fourteen two. Okay. We looked at before the show is another one. Although one camp Sakari is getting away from that because they're even realizing this how bad this is the one where it, it kind of depends on the translation too, if I recall. King James uses an old understanding of the word black. I got it right here actually. So. If you look, there's a dictionary from 1755, uh, Samuel Johnson and John Walker, okay. Dictionary of the English Language. And it, what it says is here that the word black, this is under the int entry for black, can mean um, of the color of night, dark, cloudy of countenance, sullen, horrible, wicked, dismal, mournful. Right. So, so what does Jeremiah 14, 2 say? Black unto the ground is what it says. But yeah, they're black, using black it. Black unto the ground. Yeah, they're using it in the sense of mourning into the ground. And if you look at most translations now, they'll say something like that. Well, like they say like they're, they're bowed in mourning. They're, yeah, right, it's not the color of Judah's skin. They're bowing in grief you know, toward the ground. Okay. In the Hebrew. And the King James uses the word black there because of this dictionary. Right. Okay. It's a verb, not an adjective. The actual right. Hebrew. I don't know if the, you know the word there. I don't uh, but that's the word that's Cod, in the text. Cadru yeah, is, is what it, I'm looking at. It's there. a verb. Yeah. It's not. It's not an adjective. That's interesting. So the black into the ground, it, it fails. At the it describes an, it describes an activity, not a quality. Is right. What you're getting at. Yeah. So one of the camps, Sakari, who is, I, I think you could describe them safely as a radical One West camp. Uh, they they do the whole boot kissing thing. We haven't even talked about that, but that's where they they have people bow down to them and kiss their shoes okay. in compliance with passages that uh, or, or what what sometimes scholars call the submission motif uh -huh. of you know lick the dust and all that. Right. Sakari engages that heavily, and yet they're even getting away from this argument. They're no longer employing it. So some okay. of the one west camps are realizing this is not a great argument after all. But right. we'll so what, what's the remaining category? So here's the big one. Prophetic characteristic passages. I don't know what to call them. Maybe you can help yeah. me come up with a bit different okay. name. But they're passages that they would say describe the character or traits, not physically, something else about them, of the true Jews, of Israelites. Okay. Uh, conditions they might be in. And the big one I mentioned at the end of the last show is Deuteronomy 28. That is what we call the locus classicus of Hebrewism. Right. So Deuteronomy 28. Do you, do you have any part of that to quote? Well, the big verse out of Deuteronomy 28 is verse 68. Okay. And, of course, uh, you know, <laughs> you more than well know this. You know, it's essentially stock for a treaty, the, you know, the covenant mm -hmm. sure. treaties. Yeah. And so Blessings they, and cursings and witnesses and all that stuff. They're not yeah. even using the passage in the right way. They're looking at it as like it's some kind of prophetic thing of here's what's going to happen. But it's more just like if you don't do this, here's what will happen. It's, they, they use it in a strange way. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're justified in their use of it. Okay. Verse 68 says this, though. The Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt by a route that I said you would never see again. There you will sell yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Now I'm using the Christian Standard Bible. I usually use the ESV, but this fit in my bag better. Okay. <laughs> uh, they use the KJV because one part it says, not that you will sell yourselves, but you will be sold. But let me show you how they use this passage, okay. Dr. Heiser. Right. The Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt. They'll say, those are slave ships. So the ships sure. are literal. And a lot of times they'll like just act like the passage says right. slave so, ships. So God is basically saying, hey, you know, I delivered you from Egypt, but if you, if, mm -hmm. you're, you know, if, you, if you violate the terms of the covenant, I'm going to put you on ships and take you right back. But they say Egypt means house of bondage, okay. not little Egypt. Now, as a response, I sometimes show them verse 60. And I also show them verse 27. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt. Verse 60, he will afflict you again with the, all the diseases of Egypt, meaning the other two the, times the you have plagues, Egypt there, yeah. it's actually the 
space of land right. of that happened in Egypt. And in, in Hebrew, it'd be the same word anyway. But here, it means house of bondage. What it means is the Lord's going to take you back in slave ships into slavery. Okay. So the ships are literal, but the Egypt is metaphorical or okay. symbolic. Okay. So, so they're, they're splitting the verse into metaphorical and literal uh, parts. I call it Hebrew hopscotch. Okay. <laughs> so then Bayerata said you would never see again. So the idea of going back, you can't go back to a place you've never been. Israelites can't go back to the Western Hemisphere or back to the United States or back to Brazil because they've never been there. Right. It makes sense if you're saying back to Egypt because they had been there. Right. They're saying what well, just means back into slavery. They yeah. fall back on that. Yeah. So, that, that so that the metaphorical part there is really important to them. Yes. There you will sow yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves. No one will buy you. Your destitute, indentured servant, don't have anything else anything to offer. Get out of debt. Yeah. Offer yourself. It's going to be so bad, though, no one will even actually even want to buy your services. That makes sense. They say you'll be sold, so they use the KJV there. Sure. And then the key, though, is what they do with this. No one will buy you. They say, buy can be redeem. What it means is no one will save us out of our condition. Okay. So not buy. Even though you have sell, it makes sense that you have right. buy. They right. say it's sell and redeem. Right. And redeem is to save you from so your now, condition. Right. So now they're basically just altering the vocabulary there. Yeah, yeah. so... 68 is important, but it's not the only verse that's important. They'll go through all this, and they'll say, you know, who owns the, the stores in our neighborhoods and stuff. And, and uh, I mean, if there's anything to credit, some version of even what must Hebrewism is, um, when you talk about having an entrepreneurial spirit, some of, the guys, some of the camps are getting into that. These are things that I would say are good things. Now, it's just sure. you don't have to use bad doctrine to get there. Right. But, you know, there's some good points, you know, all borrowing and instead it's better to be the lender, not the borrower. You know, you go through these things in health because this is all related to the verse. But there's questions to ask them, and I don't know, we might do no, that we'll, more when we critique yeah, them. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll have you back and we can critique, you know, sort of evaluate, you know, what, what's going on here. But, yeah, that was good. So that, But this, this last one is sort of the most fundamental kind of, maybe not, maybe it is a fundamental It's their John 3.16. Okay. It's, right. the, it's their John 3.16. All right, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Then. All right. Well, thanks for being with us again. I'm glad to be here, Dr. Heiser. Thank you for watching Fringe Pop 321 again. Please visit our website, fringepop321.com, for information about the content of this episode and other episodes. And if you're interested in supporting us, what we do here at Fringe Pop, go to fp321.com forward slash S, as in the letter S, and support us. And come back and watch more episodes because what you know may not be so. My name is Javon and I found my apartment on Zumper. The apartment is everything that I've wanted and I